last couple of sessions, we're going to be talking about community, what it is to be uh, among, in the community of believers. And um, what I've been saying is, is that in order for us to change, in order for us to experience real-life transformation, so we're not just talking about like surface, you know, clean up, bit of a polish, real depth, in-depth, at our core, that character transformation, the only way we can... And that's our goal, isn't it? As disciples, as uh, apprentices to Jesus, I'd be saying, followers of Jesus, our goal is to be transformed over time into the image of our rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. And what I've been saying is that we, that only retakes place when we're in community. And not only, that, that's not the only requirement, but amongst a couple of other things, we need to be in community. That's where change takes place. <clears throat> So we're called into community, and what I was saying last time is part of that being in community is that we're called to be family. That, that's what we, we are. We're the family of God. We're children, sons and daughters of God, and we're part of his family. And you know what? Just like being in a normal family, you know, or any relationship for that matter, what we all do is we all tend to bring along with us like backloads of expectations, <laughs> right? When we come into relationships, into community, into family, we bring expectations. And how many of us know that some of those expectations get met and some of those expectations don't get met? I mean, married couples to tell you, uh, that's absolutely true. It's not always roses. Um, and so for us, sooner or later... We're going to come face to face with the need, with the need for tricky conversations, difficult conversations, difficult situations come up. So today, what I'm going to do is kind of lift the lid a little bit on the topic of confrontation. Do like the idea that? Confrontation. <laughs> it's good. Well, I needed it to echo on that, so I didn't I? Confrontation. That's what we're going to talk about. Confrontation. Um, now, in a minute, we're going to actually open up to Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 2. But before I do that, I just want to introduce this topic by showing us a slide. Uh, I don't know whether you've come across this, the cycle of community. Anybody heard of this cycle of communities? It kind of applies to any coming together, any relationships like marriage, husband, wife, uh, in work, when we come into a work, that relationships with work, and of course here in the church, this, this is the cycle of community. And what happens is we all go through these different stages when we engage in this community, in this thing called community, becoming connected with the church community. So the first stage that we come up to is idealization. <laughs> Everything. This is like honeymoon stage you know we just get connected with this new church community and it, it's just wonderful um we're so excited it's just like new friendships lots of wonderful wonderful people and we're kind of saying things like oh these people are so so lovely they're wonderful like you say it just like that yeah we're lovely they're so wonderful you can't put a foot wrong and it's just awesome and you're just thinking to yourself man i'm just we're going to be best friends forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And, and that's kind of like how it is in this initial phase. 
And so we come along, we get involved with this uh, community, this church community, and it's just incredible. But then after a while, you know, we've kind of been coming together for a while, you start to kind of bump up against each other, a bit jostling. Um, and we begin to realize, actually, this thing isn't as incredible as what I actually first thought it was. And so we become, I don't know, somewhat disillusioned. And you kind of think, it's not what I, I first experienced. And this is the second phase, disillusionment. I don't know whether you, you experience this, you're there now or whatever. It's, um, here you're kind of thinking, you know, I really believe in this thing called community. I know I need community. I know that's where I'm changed into the likeness of, of Jesus. But the people around me are just really annoying me. <laughs> I'm just, they're really winding me up, man. Um, it's kind of like you're in the middle of a life group or something. You're sitting in a circle of people. And, and then one of the people, they kind of start sharing about how their week's going. And they're kind of going on. It's like on and on for about an hour. And... <laughs> you're just like, oh, come on, man. This is so boring, you know. Um, and so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's all right. I just realised I've got a few people that were in my life group this um, now kind of like going, you're talking about me? You're talking about me? <laughs> That's just your insecurity speaking. <laughs> Deal with it, okay? Uh, no. Uh, or <laughs> there, uh, there's this individual within the church family here and... I don't know, it's just something about their ways are, are irritating. You've noticed several times that they've kind of railroaded a few people, including yourself. It just seems that they don't give two hoots about other people's feelings other than their own. And you kind of see this and you get wind up, uh, wound up with that and you start to get disillusioned. Yeah? You kind of think, man, what's this all about? And so you're in this place of disillusionment. But in this this place of disillusionment, this is where we, we kind of face a couple of choices. We have some options before us. First of all, our option is you could just break off, just break it up, break it up. I mean, it's a, that's a, a genuine option. We just break away. I'm just going to go do my own thing or I'm going to join another church community or if it's related to your work, I'm going to leave work, I'm going to find another job or, or, or whatever. Or the other option is that you move towards acceptance, this third phase of the cycle of community. It's like, okay, I know, you know nobody has said this thing is going to be easy. I, I know, I, you know we're kind of meeting up with a lot of imperfect people. I know uh, that people are at varying uh, places, positions in their um, journey of discipleship. But you know what? I'm going to stick with this. I'm, I'm, committed. I'm connected with these people. I'm engaged with this community of people. And I'm sticking. Now, there is a strong argument that the only way that we can move from that phase of disillusionment on through into acceptance is if we learn to do confrontation well. It's the only way we'll move on. And that means that you're going to have to confront some things, some issues, some people, um, things that you experience. And either they, the people that you're confronting, are going to have to change, or you are going to have to change if you're the confrontee. Is that the right word? Someone, something's going to have to change. Um, and certainly there, there are going to have to be some comfort, difficult conversations had. 
So we all need to learn to handle conflict and confrontation well. Now, just to be absolutely crystal clear on this, when I'm talking about confrontation, what I'm not talking about here is just confronting just for the sake of confronting. You know, confrontation, I just want to confront them. Well, you know, this person has really irritated me, annoyed me, so I'm going to tell them about that and just because I want to annoy them back. You know, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. It's not about venting about what's right or wrong about everybody that's around us. You know, in actual fact, that's the way confrontation looks in society. That's what our culture looks like. And I don't think we do confrontation very well in our culture. Confrontation out there is largely about like name-calling. It's about labelling people. And actually, usually it takes place as a comment on their Facebook feed, doesn't it? <laughs> you start talking about what's wrong with them or talking about social media. It's done in a very conniving, in a very scheming sort of way. There's a pile of things wrong. There's an individual or individuals on your friends list and there's a bunch of things wrong about them and they're doing something wrong their lifestyle or whatever it is and the way that you address that is you take an article which you've seen a mem or something that's kind of popped up and you post it up hoping that they read this get the message and they come to the light just like you already have done you know we know how it works. You've, you've done it, haven't you? <laughs> I've seen it. I, 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 I probably have done it as well. Um, and if you were on the receiving end of that, I do apologise. That, that, that is terrible. Um, but this is what I find about Facebook, you know? And actually, what I dislike most about Facebook uh, is people say a whole bunch of things to people or about people that they would never say in person. It's just, it's weird. It's like the screen in front of them convinces that this is what I'm saying now, it doesn't really matter. It dehumanizes the, uh, the interaction that we have with these individuals. And it kind of ex- excuses your accountability for what you're about to say, or what you have said to or about um, others. I think social media, I think, has crippled our ability to do confrontation well. I, I really do. But clearly, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is doing confrontation well. And confrontation, it's, it's inevitable. As I was started off by saying, you, bring, you come into a relationship. It's absolutely inev- inevitable, inevitable in all relationships. Therefore, every single person who's sat in a seat here, at some point, whether you like it or not, whether you are one that, ah, oh, yeah, I like a bit of confrontation. I like getting it, you know, it's your thing. I just like tackle this head on. Or if somebody, you just really hate it, maybe you're an extrovert or an introvert. Whoever you are, you need to learn how to do confrontation well. We're going to need to. So how does God challenge us? How does God uh, confront us? Well, I think there's a key to this found in Philippians 2. But you don't have to turn to it today. I know the words have come up, but I'm going to ask you to do something different. If you're going to practice a little exercise, do a little exercise here. What I want you to do, I want to just ask you to close your eyes. You close your eyes, and I want you to picture the person that you've been thinking about everything ever since I started talking about confrontation. <laughs> that person. 
It may be somebody who's quite abrasive, somebody who's been annoying, irresponsible, uncaring, self-centered. You know the person for you. So get them into your mind. I'm just going to read this Philippians 2 passage over you. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, And of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Okay, you can... Open your eyes now. You know, if I was asked, what's our goal? Vineyard Community Church here, what's our goal in confrontation? I would say that as apprentices to Jesus, as followers of Jesus, I think our goal is, it is a person-to-person, face-to-face, <laughs> no, we won't, fruitful confrontation. That's what it is. It's about fruitful confrontation. We want our confrontation to produce fruit in both the parties involved, in you, the the person confronting, as well as the person being confronted. We want the kind of conversations that take place to be those whereby both parties involved are becoming more and more like the person that God wants them to be, is designing them to, to, to be. Jesus often confronted others in love. When he confronted people, he was often always, or he was always pointing people towards the kingdom. And he was like saying, this is, you know, this is how life is in my kingdom. This is how you're meant to live to experience that life and life to the full. So this is why you need to change. Note that our goal is not to be the righteous police. Our goal is not, is not to be the moral policeman um, among us, you know. Or our goal is not to shame people into doing the right thing. And it, you can do that. I mean, shame's like really powerful. You can shame people to do all sorts of things. But that's, that's not what we're talking about. We confront in order to see fruit emerge in the lives of our friends around us. And, and you know, I think a sub-part of this is that you know, part of our goal of confrontation is always showing others what is, what is actually true about them. Not what we presume or uh, perceive to be true about them. Or even worse still, what somebody else has told us to be true about them. So we're showing others what is actually true about them. And this again is why Facebook um, is so horrible, so painful... Um, is that, you know, you have an individual over here, a bunch of people over here, and they have no knowledge of the values of an individual over here or people over here, and yet all these people on Facebook, they start commenting about how the values of these people that they don't really know anything about. And it's just ugly. It, it, it really is. But fruitful confrontation, it can only happen in an environment of real relationship, real 
person to person, not cyber, not virtual, online relationships, but only in real relationships where you are secure in who you are and where a place of love and grace is flowing among the people. So this morning, just, um, just three thoughts then on how, to do, how we do confrontation. The first thing is that we need to start with identity. Start with your identity, the confronteur. To do confrontation well, you have to start with your identity. And this is so important that we get a real good understanding on who you are, who you are yourself, how you view yourself has a big influence on how you will deal with other people and how you'll treat other people around you. So if you see yourself as one who is uh, snubbed and disregarded by somebody, maybe somebody that's really important in your life, a husband, a wife, or uh, you know, a, a, a brother or sister, or somebody at school, a close friend, mum or dad, if you feel as though you were someone who is snubbed and disregarded by that sort of a person, the chances are is that you will always walk through life feeling as though you need to pay somebody back. You'll always feel like you're trying to get payback in some kind of way, your portion out of life, in order to make your life worth, worth it. If, on the other hand, if you see yourself as one who is deeply blessed with more than you've ever needed, that you've been loved in totality by God, it's more likely that you're going to be more open towards other people. It's more likely that you're going to be more generous and gracious towards other people. And as you walk through life, you're probably going to be more, more likely to be thinking, hey, how can I impact this situation? How can I give to this situation as opposed to how can this situation benefit me? Yeah? Now, this is the thing. If we, if we don't know who we are, so if we really struggle with our own personal identity, we are going to be constantly trying to change others for our benefit. <laughs> We're going to change, you know, to make, make me feel better, to get, you know, to sort out my, my needs. Uh, but if we actually secure in, we know who we are before God, uh, we can actually be looking to help people around us to change for their benefit, not ours. <laughs> this is why Paul, I think when he was saying in this uh, Philippians passage here, he was saying about putting the interests of others before our own. <laughs> and he goes on to say, you know, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So it comes out of that understanding that we are united in Christ. <laughs> so, there was a time in your life when you were not in Christ. And then you come to some decisions, you made some choices. There was a moment where you believed in, you trusted in, you put your faith, your confidence, your, your trust in him, in his life and his death and his resurrection. And Paul says, if you take encouragement from that, and if you have comfort from his love. I mean, has anybody experienced comfort, God's comfort from his love? Anybody feel encouraged by the fact that God has called you and connected you with, the, you know, your identity is now in Christ? It says, uh, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make your joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love as Christ Jesus. Paul starts with our identity. And an identity that is full of encouragement and full of love and full of sharing in the same spirit. And, you know, that's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, right? 
<laughs> like dwelling in you. <laughs> he starts with our identity. And I think he starts with our identity because he knows that we can't value others until we really value ourselves. Sometimes we forget, you know, what it really means to birth for us to be in Christ, for our identity to be united with Christ. I think about it. I mean, the Bible says that we had a destination that was one of condemnation, right? That's what the Bible says. We, we, that was where we were destined for condemnation. But you know, in Romans 8, it says that those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there's no, now no more condemnation. No condemnation. So if you're here today, you're in Christ, you put your trust in him, and if you feel a a sense of heavy condemnation, I want you to know today that he's not from God. That's that's not from him because there's no condemnation in, in Christ, for those in Christ. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you do in the future, there is no condemnation. You see, the truth is, I think for us, uh, who are in Christ. We read passages like that in Romans 8, and we read other passages that tell us about our eternal rewards and, and about our eternal inheritance, and just that God loves us and actually likes us as well. You know, we read all those sorts of things. But unless we actually take them to our heart and really take those things to heart, not only will that be detrimental to us, but it will be detrimental to those around us as well. But really, having taken those things, those truths, those benefits, those promises, and really taken them in, that we really belong to him, that we can then live that out towards others. We see we do this from a place of, I have tasted and I've seen that God is good, and I just want you to taste that too. That's a great place to bring, to, to, to come, you know, start conflict or confrontation from, isn't it? See, at the core of fruitful confrontation is knowing what's true about you and your own character and your identity in Christ. The second thing then is that we need to foster a culture of grace in this church. We absolutely need to foster, cultivate that that culture of grace. Now, you may not be aware of this. You may be aware of this. But, you know, for most of us, wherever we go, if you're walking down the street, you're walking around the shops, you're in your place of work, you're hanging out with friends, socializing, you're down at the gym or even here at church, you know, every one of us secretly are comparing ourselves to other in various ways. We measure ourselves up against others and we measure others against us. And we use different things to kind of measure ourselves up. Against others, sometimes it's just the way we dress. Ladies, I know you do this because I've heard it said, I've been told by different ladies, you walk into a room and you, you know, there's ladies around, and the first thing you do is you look at how they're dressed and oh, look how she's like, her dress really makes her figure look well. And what about what I'm dressed in? You do, I know you do this. You compare yourself. There's this game going on. And, Blokes are the same. You know, we go in and say, oh, look at you. Oh, man, look at, hey, look at these jeans that he's wearing. Look at these trainers. I can never afford those trainers. And it's kind of like you're kind of scoring people up against you. It's like, oh, it's one nil to him. Oh, you know, he's got one up on me here. He looks better. He's dressed better. But it's not only with clothing and the way we dress. We use education to measure ourselves against others. 
We might say, oh, sister over there, he's, he's only got a couple of GCSEs, but I've got A-levels. I've got a degree. And so it's kind of like this, I've got one up here in, in this situation. We use morality. We might say, man, that person over there, they've done this sort of despicable thing, this lifestyle. I would never live like that. I would never have said those sorts of things that he or she has said. I've got one up again. I've got, you know, there's this measuring thing. We do it with wealth and poverty. We do it with how people spend their money. Now, we all have internal reasons for why we, we actually do that. But we're constantly playing that game. We're constantly sizing one another up. Who's the winner? Who's the loser in this, this thing? And you know what? This is just so detrimental to fruitful confrontation. It's so detrimental. It works so against what God is wanting to grow in amongst these believers, which is grace for you and grace for me and grace for others as well. That's what God's all about. And this goes right against it. Because fruitful confrontation, it can only happen in an environment of grace because it's in an environment of grace where all that calculating, all that measuring gets kicked out. There's no space. That now, clearly, we haven't got time to go into a big, extensive exposition on the topic of grace. We've done that before about you know, it was about eight, nine years ago, and it took us like 13 weeks <laughs> to go through grace. Um, it's a huge topic, but I just want to share two things, two thoughts uh, on, on, on grace. I don't think I actually put it up here, did I? No. Okay, don't worry about it. Two things. First thing, you need it. <laughs> you need grace. I need grace. We all need grace. The very fact that God's grace exists in the universe means that there was some wrongdoing. There was something that went wrong, and grace is needed to be extended towards it, to cover it up. And so there's always someone in need of grace. And guess what? It's probably you. <laughs> And it's probably me. We need grace. So that's the first thing, that we all need it. But the second thing is, there is infinite grace, and it is given freely. There is infinite grace, and it is given freely. Do you know, even though that we were an offense to God, do you know, as human beings, we were an offense to God, deserving nothing but death. And yet he was willing to come and take the punishment on your and my behalf in order that we might be made right before him. In the you know, just old gospel narrative, there is this judge, and his name's God. <laughs> okay, he's this judge, and he's going to judge our lives um, and what we do here. But what he's also offering to anyone is this. He's saying, I'm going to get off my judgment seat I'm going to come and be with you, and I am going to be judged for all that you do wrong. And I'm going to take the sentence that is due to you. I'm going to take the punishment that is due to you, and you can go free. And all you need to say is, yes, I want this. That's, that, that's what grace is that? That's amazing grace. That, what is, love is that? What value does that give you that God would do that even for you, even for me? <clears throat> and then not only does God say that, he's so, yeah, you know, I want to give you more. I want to give you grace upon grace upon grace so that I can empower you now to go and change the world by extending that same grace 
to others. Freely you received, <laughs> so freely give. So when you begin to examine grace, <clears throat> you know, when you, when you start to really get a good, honest <laughs> look at grace, what does it do to you? It humbles us. His grace humbles us because we know that we're in so desperate need for his grace. And yet on the, the kind of flip side of that is that he's filled us with this incredible sense of self-worth as well. That our creator was willing to go through whatever it would take to make us right before him. And that's what our God thing wants to do with us right at the beginning of all this confrontation business. He wants to bring humility into your life, into my life, and at the same time bring you into tremendous value. You are so deeply valued and deep self-worth. Um, and, and then out, you know, those things would be the engine that drive our relationships and drive our conflicts and drive our confrontation. And I think that that should be the hallmark for the Christian church. That, that, that I think should be you know, the scent, if you like, of the Christian church. And I know we're not there yet, but that's what we are working towards that's what I signed up for. I don't know about you. That's, what I, that's where we're going um, with this. God doesn't want us to be a place that is constantly saying, gosh, I can, can you believe that person over there is, is in Christ? The way they behave, the way they... Can you really believe that? But rather, God wants us to be this gracious place that are constantly saying, do you know, I can see what God is doing in and through that individual. I can see how he's shaping that person to become something. And do you know what? I just can't wait to see them stepping into the freedom that God has for them. So different, isn't it? I just can't wait to see them changed more like Jesus. When you and I really find our true identity and the security that comes in knowing, that, well, knowing the Creator's affections for us. When we really know those things, we stop playing the who's winning, who's, leaning, who's losing game that we, we would normally play. And we start actually pointing to, those, to the one that makes us sons and doors. We start pointing to. So how then do we actually confront? How, how do we actually go about this motion, this... The process of actually confronting those awkward conversations. Now, we can have a look at in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, this is like the go-to passage when it comes to confrontation. This is Jesus speaking himself. This is one of those, you bookmark this place because you're going to need this. If you don't need it now, you'll need it soon. Um, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins... So this is like if they're sin, just in living in some kind of area of sin, or if they've sinned against you. So if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen to you, take one or two others along, so that every matter, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And then if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you were the pagan or a tax collector. So this is like a very short section of Jesus' teaching. And it's kind of like a formula. It's kind of um, a process that he's saying, this is where you should go through when it comes to confronting other believers, other members of, of the church. 
Now, by the way, I, I don't know whether you notice, it doesn't, there's no emailing in there. <laughs> there's no, you know, pull out your first century iPhone and text them, you know, you've done so. You know, there's none, none of that. It's, it's person to person, face to face engagement with the individual that has offended or offended you. And that's what Jesus is instructing us to do. You go to them. You meet with them like one-on-one. It's just you and that individual. But if they won't listen, if they won't repent, if they won't change their way, it's okay to bring someone else from the church uh, with you. And, and this is kind of like, now you know, a group. This, is, and like this third person can kind of act as a mediator. It can kind of step in and say, okay, do you hear, this is what's being said here. You get this? You, you understand what's being said? <clears throat> but then there's this third phase. He said, if that's still not working out, then you, and, it, and think about it in the context of this church. If that's, you've tried that, and it's still not working out, then you come to the church leadership. And, you know, we'll be more than happy. I won't. I'll try and get somebody else. Uh, no. So one of the leaders will actually come along with you, meet, sit with you and the other person, and we will do our utmost best to try and help work the things through. And then if that doesn't come to anything, then you get to treat the person like a pagan and a tax collector. <laughs> but... Before you start thinking up your weird and wild and nasty things you can do to treat somebody as a pagan and tax collector, how does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach about how we should treat pagans and tax collectors? Now, that's just a phrase for people who are far from God. So what does the Bible actually tell us how we should treat people who are far from God? We treat them with incredible amounts of love and grace with a hope to win them back over to that potential that they have in Christ. Right? <laughs> it's always more love, more love, more love. So this, I, this is, as I say, this is a key passage of Jesus' teaching. One, you should absolutely fold the corner over in your Bible or bookmark it, get on your iPad or whatever. It's the go-to passage. If you're in that place of, I need, to sort out, I need to confront this person, we've got to do that. But just to, to finish then, I just want to leave us with three questions to ask. Ask yourself this question before you go to do some confrontation. Then. These are three great questions I strongly recommend you ask yourself. Firstly, do I have the right to actually talk to this person about this? Do I actually have the right... To speak, you know, sadly, and I've seen it so many times, it's very common for people confronting issues or confronting people that they have absolutely no business in confronting. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> there is this phrase, and I don't know whether you've heard this, this expression before. It says, people need to know that you care before they will care about what you know. <laughs> it's a bit cheesy, but... Uh, people need to know that you care before they're going to be even bothered about what you know about them or what they've been doing and so forth. The question is, is are you the right person to actually go into this situation and confront this individual? Now, to answer that question, there's kind of like some sub, sub checks we can do, kind of filters we can pass through. First one is, well, have they invited your input? <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? 
Have they actually invited you to give them some input? Have they actually asked, hey, listen, I want you to speak into my life. There is this particular area that I'm struggling with, and I I really want to get and work on this. So if you see me doing it, will you actually point it out to me? Because, you know, I just invite you to speak into that. I invite your input. That's pretty green light, isn't it? (laughs) That kind of confirmed, yeah, I've been given the go-ahead. I've got the rights to speak. Or another important sub-check in this is, are they followers of Jesus? Anyway, are they followers of Jesus? As followers of Jesus ourselves, it isn't our job to tell the world how to be the world. That's not our job. Or it's not our, our job to go confronting people who don't share the same moral uh, standard of morality as what we do. That those that aren't actually trying to walk the Jesus way and live his way. <clears throat> you know, within the context of what we're talking about this morning, let's just stick with confronting others within the church, those who are saying, yes, I have actually chosen to actually commit to or come under the lordship of Jesus. Let's... Let's just stick to that, shall we? Another check is, can the person trust your motives? Can that person actually trust your motives? Can they act, do they actually trust that you have nothing but their good in mind as you approach them? Or has there, there been something that's occurred, something that you've done or said in the past that has kind of broken that trust with them? And so actually now, you're probably, well, you're really not the right person to actually uh, confront this issue. Uh, even if you're, the, what you're trying to do is true, there's truth in it, maybe just because of that broken trust from the past, maybe it's just not your job to actually do that now. So that's kind of like the, the first thing. Second big question that you really need to ask yourself is, are you winning them over in love? Are we actually trying to win them over in love? Is your confrontation approach showing people who they really are, but in love? Do they get that sense? Remember, that's what all you know, confrontation is all about. So you're asking yourself, you know, what's my motive here? <laughs> it's, it's a real good check to have. What is my motive? What am I, why am I confronting this person? Is this coming out of Jesus' agenda? Or is this coming out of my agenda, my personal agenda uh, in this? Maybe you need to ask yourself, is this something that I just need to let go? Sometimes that's the right thing. Maybe, you know, it's... Maybe it's something that God is actually already working on in the individual. You don't need to confront it. You just need maybe to affirm it in them. And then the last question that we really need to ask ourselves is, are you being clear? Are you being clear about what you're confronting? You know, so often we can step into having these awkward, difficult conversations. Maybe it's a friend. And we either do one of two things. We kind of water it down. (laughs) So it's like, hey, you know, I just happened to notice you're doing this, you said this, and, and the thing that you're up to, um, you, you know, and uh, no, maybe it's, maybe it's not so good, and maybe you would probably want to reconsider doing that, you know, would you? Uh, it's up to you. Like, maybe it's not a big deal. <laughs> you see what happens in that sort of situation. And that may be like a fear in the confrontory, a fear that this person won't be their friend after they've had this conversation with them. But how helpful is that to the person? It's just, it's not very helpful at all. Uh, but the other end is that you can go in and blow the whole thing up. 
and exaggerate it. And this it's kind of like maybe the confronter have some pride issues of, of their own, but it's like, look, dude, man, that what you just did, or that what I, I saw you do, that is just despicable, man. I'd never do that. You should be so shamed, ashamed of that. <laughs> and you're kind of pushing this shame, totally demonizing the person. But you can kind of see how um, what, what can happen when you let fear um, or, or pride drive our relationship. It really, really doesn't help. <coughs> Actually, both of those responses, you know, like the, the watering down just because you don't want to cause too much discomfort or exaggerating so that we can impart a little bit of... Um, Shame in, on the person. Both those responses actually lack in love for the individual. The key thing is just say what you actually think. Say what you really think. Give them your reasons and then shut up. <laughs> you know, then just kind of wait and listen to what they say. Now, I, I recognize that what we're talking about here, just the outworking of it, the living it out, is just so difficult. It really is so hard actually doing it. But that's what we're working through here, isn't it? We're working through, uh, you know, it's something that's really at the core of what this church is about, Vineyard Community Church. You know, we are people who are desiring and working at becoming more and more like Jesus in our character. And so we have to, we have to grow, and there is cost to that. There's, there's difficulties and there's discomfort and there's pain in that journey it's also really likely that as you try to do this and as I try to do this to you know confront even with the right heart even if the goal is to see fruit emerge in their lives or our lives the chances are that you're going to offend or you're going to be offended in this process um certainly as we're trying to at the front end you're trying to navigate your, your way through the confrontation, it gets really awkward. I've been in this situation, it feels really difficult with the individual. But if we work super hard at trying to instill within other people this immense value, you are deeply, deeply valued, um, incredibly valued, and then point them towards Jesus. And point them to him. That's what fruitful confrontation is always pointing people to him. To him. Why? Because he's the one that saves. <laughs> not us. He's the savior. Not, uh, we're not the saviors. Uh, he's the one that changes. He's the one that brings about the power to transform in people's lives. Not us. Not what we say. It's not our challenging words. It's all him. So we point people to Jesus. Amen? You agree? <laughs> Why don't we stand?